such an honor to be here today, and I love, I made this statement last time, but I love walking into a church service and knowing I'm among people who believe there's only one God. Amen. I'm among people who worship this one God with everything that they have, and I'm among people that are not ashamed of his word or of his name. And I with some fellow believers today that the beautiful spirit of revival is here. And today I, I am privileged to get to be a part of two very, very uh, special uh, ceremonial events before we turn to the word of the Lord. And, and first I'm going to ask um, if Sister Kathy Camarena would be willing to come to the front and join me for a few moments. And today I am going to present something in honor of the bishop of this church, Brother Eliseo Camarena, and, and Pastor Camarena, Brother Jeremiah, who joined me as well. And I'm going to read, the, I have a certificate and also uh, something very special to present. Uh, this is the official flag of the United Pentecostal Church. And um, it's actually, um, it, it's a high honor to be granted this, and, and this is not given to every minister. But when there are those ministers among us who have distinguished themselves by their faithful service through the years, by their refusal to let go of this truth in this apostolic way, and by their willingness to stand together in unity with the brethren. And I'm going to read this. It says, this flag being presented to you is the official flag of the United Pentecostal Church International and was flown over world headquarters in Weldon Spring, Missouri. Reaching the people of this world with our message is the vision that has drawn us and bound us together. On behalf of General Superintendent David K. Bernard, the Executive Board and General Board, the officials of the United Pentecostal Church International, and our grateful ministers and saints, please accept this flag and certificate of honor for your family as a symbol of our appreciation for faithful and dedicated service as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by Reverend Eliseo Camarena. And so we present this flag today, Sister Kathy, we present this to you and to the entire family and this certificate of honor. And I want to say thank you as a young minister. I want to say thank you on behalf of, of your husband and your father for the years that he gave this organization, the years that he gave this movement. And this church is here today because he refused to give up, but he believed that this God that we serve was going to do a great work in this city. And so the dream and the vision and the burden that we have, we are living that today. Can we put our hands together and can we honor this great man of God? So I have looked forward to making that presentation for some time. Um, and even though uh, I, I'm in a very similar situation, I had to say goodbye to my father. And not really goodbye, it was a see you later, right? Because we're right, going right, right. to meet together on the streets of glory. And yet, my father lives with me today. And every time I stand in the pulpit, my father stands with me. Every time I go to do something for the Lord, he goes with me because he is the one that put this in me. And Bishop Camarina is still with this church. Amen. Pastor Camarina, he is with you every time you stand in this pulpit and preach. Sister Kathy, he is with you and he's with his family. And one thing my father taught me. My father was a backslider. He was raised in this faith, and he walked away from God. His mom died when he was very young, 
He was only 17 when his mother passed away. And he turned away from God angry over his loss. But when he was 37 years old, he made his way back to the house of God after a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. And this is what he taught me. He said, son, the reason I made it back to the house of God is because prayers are eternal. And he said, even though my mother passed away when she was very young and when I was very young, he said her prayers never passed away. And God answered her prayers years after her passing. God answered her prayers. And he said, I made it back to church because of my mama's prayers. And Bishop Camarena prayed for this church. He prayed for this city. He stood on the word of God. He had a burden. He had a vision. He stood on promises from God. And the prayers of that great man of God are eternal. And we're going to see God do a great work in this city. We've already seen it. But we're going to see God do a great work because of the prayers of that great man of God. So I, I hold on to that today. The second thing that we're going to do today is we're going to have a child or a baby dedication. And if you are not familiar with, with Pentecost, um, we do some things that, that are unique. And one thing that we, we are very adamant about is we don't believe in baby or child baptism. And I'll explain. Um, there are large segments of Christianity that they will baptize babies and uh, feel like that somehow purchases salvation for that child but we try to do everything we do. We try to always line it up with this word. And nowhere in this word do you see babies being dedicated. It's, it's not in scripture. But what we do see is we see that parents would bring their children and present them to the Lord, would dedicate them to God. So that's, that's the pattern that we follow. Why don't we baptize infants? Why don't we baptize babies? Because that is a choice that each individual has to make when they profess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is a personal decision. I, I could not force my children into baptism. They had to make that choice on their own, that they were going to take on the saving name of Jesus for themselves yeah. and dedicate their own lives, their own hearts, give themselves to God. So that is a choice that one day Ava Grace will have to make. But what can we do today? Today we can dedicate. And the example that we have is found in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22. The Bible says, and when the days of her purification, talking about Mary, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And so today I'm going to ask for Pastor Sister Camarina if they would come forward with Ava Grace, and I'm going to ask for members of the Camarina family to join them. And uh, I'm going to share a few words from the Bible, and then we're all going to stand together. Because this is a very sacred moment. This is a very, very special moment. In Hebrews chapter 11. She's perfect. <laughs> Those beautiful dark eyes. My goodness. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Uh, that word proper, it's a very unusual word in the Greek. Uh, it, the word is asios. And if we were to just translate it exactly as, as in its dictionary definition, it means polished. So he was a, a polished child. And that really doesn't make a lot of sense when, when you think of it. But the writer of Hebrews was telling us something important about this child. When the parents looked at this child, this child was, was 
different. From birth, they looked and they recognized there's something different. And so the writer of Hebrews, he pulled out a word. He said, he said the child was polished, right? If you read this in the New King James, it says he was a beautiful child. If you read it in the NIV, it says he was no ordinary child. And that perhaps captures the thought the best. He was. They looked at this child and they said there's something special. And, and you, Pastor Camarina, you, Sister Shannon, you have looked at Ava and you have made that same conclusion. This is not an ordinary baby, right? She's prettier than all the other babies around. That's just how it is. And there's something special. Look at her personality already. Look at that smile. And, and you just, you know it. You just know it in your heart. And it's, it's more than the normal pride that every parent has. You know that God has something special in yeah. store. Okay. And look at what they did. Because they looked at this child. Moses' parents, they looked at him and they said, there's something special about this child. The first thing they did is they protected the child. The Bible says they hid the child. And that's your first job, right, in an apostolic home, to protect our children from the influences of the world, to protect them, to hide them in the safety of your prayers, in the safety of our belief system, in the safety of, of our identity, our apostolic identity. We're going we're gonna to hide them so they're safe here because the world's going to reach for them. But no, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to protect. But then the second thing that they did was they put a God-centered identity into the child. Because look at the next two verses. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's amazing. Moses' mother had five years to raise him before she had to hand him over to Pharaoh's daughter. And in those five years, she put so much in him. That even though he went to the Egyptian schools, even though he was given an Egyptian name, even though he learned the Egyptian language and, and he was taught everything about the ways of the world, when he grew up, he said, you know what? I'm not an Egyptian. She had so much influence in those first five years. She gave him a God-centered identity. And our hope and prayer is obviously that you will have uh, a lot longer than five years. But in every day that you have as an influencer in Ava's life, that you would put that God-centered, that apostolic identity, that one day she will stand and square her shoulders and say, I am what my parents are. I will believe what they will believe. Yeah. I will serve the God that they serve. I will live the life that yeah. they lived. Amen. And so they hid the child, but then they put their belief system, their identity into this child. And one day Moses stood up. And said, this is who I am. I know I'm talking too much, Ava. I know it. I'll quit right now. I'll quit. So we're going to dedicate Ava Grace. But we're also going to dedicate, and I'm going to call them by their first names, not to be disrespectful, uh, but to understand this moment. We're also going to dedicate Nathaniel, and we're going to dedicate Shannon. Because when we dedicate a child, we also dedicate an entire family. We dedicate mom and dad. We dedicate the home. Because it is in this home that she is going to learn who she is. And who her God is. And I'm thankful for the members of the family that are here today. And so we're going to gather in close. And I'm going to ask if you would reach your hands forward today. And we're going to pray. And we're going to lay hands. And we're going to dedicate this child in faith. This child has already been given to the Lord. They did this before this child was ever born. But today we're doing this publicly. We're doing this today to honor God.
and to honor our faith and our heritage. Yeah. So let's pray together. Would you reach your hands forward in the name of the Lord Jesus. God, today we lay hands upon this beautiful child, this special child, this child that is not ordinary. We lay hands on this mom and dad today. And we pray, God, your blessing. We pray your anointing. God, I plead the blood of Jesus over Ava Grace today. I pray the angels of God will be kept round about her to keep her in all of her ways. And I pray for Pastor and Sister Camarilla today that you would anoint them to be the godly parents they need to be to guide this child in the ways of God, in the ways of truth. That in this apostolic home, she would learn her identity. That she would learn who she is. That she would know who her God is. Anoint this pastor to lead this church and this home. And bless this beautiful child. We pray the blessing of Jesus be upon her from this day forward. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I thank you for this moment. We dedicate this child in faith. We dedicate this child to an apostolic heritage. We dedicate this child unto you today, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise together. God bless you. Thank you for giving me the privilege of being a part of this special moment. And, and you are right. That is a beautiful daughter. Amen. Uh, I'm so thankful to have my, my family with us today. And I did not give her warning because she would have tried to talk me out of it. So I want my, my wife, Sister Logan, if she would stand and testify for a few moments today. started in his living room, in his family room, in his house. He had a little pulpit that he built. I don't know if he still had it, a little wooden podium. And I became the assistant sheepfold leader to his son, Chris. And one day, Chris had to work late and couldn't be there. And I got the call if I could teach the Bible study that night. And that was my first step of, of standing in the pulpit and teaching and preaching to others. And it happened in the front room of his house. And so, Brother brother Gutierrez, I honor you uh, for your ministry. It was so good to see you in the pulpit today. And then he got me into prison ministry. And uh, I learned how to stand before people who didn't believe what I believed. And I learned I didn't, ha I didn't need any cute sayings. I didn't need cute, cute stories. I had to have the goods or they weren't going to listen to what I had to say. And I thank Brother Gutierrez for pushing me out of my comfort zone and getting me in prison ministry. And I honor his ministry. Sister Glenda Gutierrez, good to see you both today. God bless you. I honor you today. Um, would you stand with me? Luke chapter 18. 
and verse 40 through 43, Luke chapter 18. And starting with verse 40, and I'll give you a few moments to turn there, and when you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, say oh me. I'll wait. I'm so thankful to have my two older children with me today, uh, Avery and Alyssa, my youngest son, Grant. Uh, one of his good friends is having a birthday today, so he is at our home church, and he's going to be hanging out with their family today. Uh, but I'm so thankful that my other children could join me, and um, I will not pick on them. You don't have to testify. <laughs> you got this nervous look on their face. Luke chapter 18, verse 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? This is one of those questions that when I read this, I'm like, Jesus, are you serious? Because when you read the context of the story, this man is blind and he has been begging beside the road. He's been begging on the side of the road for many years now. And he hears this commotion and he, he's told that it's Jesus and he makes this fuss and he gets the attention of Jesus and Jesus said, bring him to me. And so the man approaches Jesus and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is the most obvious answer ever. So why is Jesus asking the question? But that's what Jesus does. Right. He will look at your heart. He will look at your life. He will look at your ministry and he sees what you want. He sees what you desire, but he will still force you to formulate an answer because he will ask every one of us, what do you want me to do for you? What is it that you really want me to do for you? And you have to give him an answer when he asks the question. He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Verse 42, then Jesus said to him, receive thy sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. In that moment, he had the guts to answer the question honestly and truly. This is what I want. And because he had the courage to answer that question, God had favor upon him and answered it and gave him exactly what he'd asked for. For a few moments today, I want to preach to you about preparing for your promise. Preparing for your promise. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Speak to your people. Open up our hearts to receive your word. And anoint you your messenger to deliver your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. One thing that you will realize or recognize about God when you read the Bible is that God responds to us proportionate to how we approach him. Okay? Let let, let me say that again. God responds to us proportionate to how we approach him. And and there are some verses that I'm going to share with you real quick that, that, that will show you how this works. In 2 Samuel 22, 26 and 27, this is what the Bible says. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. 
With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. So the way that you approach God, that's the way that God is going to respond to you. So with the pure, with the merciful, excuse me, he's going to show himself merciful. With the pure, God's going to show himself pure. But with those who are devious and conniving, you're going to encounter a God that's, that's going to respond accordingly. James 4 verse 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Again, God's response to you is proportionate to your right. response to him. So right. as you approach God, God says, okay, I'll, I'll answer. And I'll, I'll, you draw near to me. I'll, I'll draw near to you. You take a step towards God and he'll take 10 steps towards you. Right. Luke 6, 38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So again, this thought is you do something. As you step out, as you respond, as you make your actions, God says, okay, I'll, I see what you're doing, and I will respond accordingly. Yeah. So much of what you experience in God is based on how you have approached God. See, if you approach him in faith... God will manifest his power. If you approach him with desire, God will respond and manifest his presence. If you approach him with generosity, he will respond with blessings. So much of what you experience in God is dependent on how you approach God. And it's so simple. I get people that tell me that church is boring. Well, it's boring for you. Because of the way that you do church. Church, I made up my mind. I will never again have a boring church service the rest of my life. I will never again have a dead church service the rest of my life. I made up my mind. Because I'm not going to come in and give God my second best. I'm not going to come in and give God leftovers. But I'm going to give the very best of my attention. The best of my heart. The best of my energy. The best of my worship to God. And if I look around and church is a little dead, I look around and church is a little dry, then you know what? It's up to me to do something about it. That means I'm going to get a little more exuberant. I'm going to get a little more excited. I made up my mind. I'm going to have a move of God. And when you show up to church and say, I'm not going to give God second best, but I'm going to give it everything I have, all of a sudden church will change for you. You will feel God. You will encounter God. You will experience God. So I never have a dead church service anymore. Yeah. I never have a dry, boring church service because I realize it's up to me. Yeah. And if I approach God with that desire and that faith, he will respond accordingly. Amen. So in 2 Kings chapter 3, there, there's a story that we're going to we're going to take a journey as this story unfolds. In 2 Kings chapter 3, the context of this story is that Ahab the wicked king of Israel, right? This this awful king Ahab, he's just died. Even though Ahab was a horrible, wicked man, he was a very powerful king. And the nation of Israel expanded under his leadership, even though he was a wicked man. His son Jehoram becomes king in his place. 
And up until this time, Moab was under the control of Israel. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against Israel. He realized the strong king is dead, and I don't think his son has the guts. I don't think his son is like his father. I don't think his son is going to get strong as his father. And so the king of Moab rebels upon hearing about the death of Ahab. He rebels. And so Jehoram, he wanted help in attacking Moab. He, the king of Moab was right. You see, Ahab would have went after Moab right away and said, you will come back under my authority. But Jehoram paused. He vacillated. And he said, I can't do this on my own. And I'm a young king. I'm a new king. And maybe it was the inexperience of his position. We're not sure. But he wanted help. And so he, he goes into a confederation. He gets two other kings to join him. He asked help from the king of Judah and from the king of Edom. And so these three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, joined their armies together, and they lead their armies towards Moab for a unified attack against this wayward, rebellious kingdom to bring it back under control of Israel. However, to get to Moab, they had to cross through the Judean desert. If you pick out a map in your Bible, you look to the back, you'll see where Moab and and Edom and these different countries around Israel were situated. And to go from Israel in the north, the northern tribes, down into Moab, they're going to have to cross this, this vast expanse of desert. And what do we know about deserts? They're hot. And this desert was long and this desert was dry. There was no water to be found in the desert. And as a result, along this journey, the soldiers and the animals began to faint along the way. They were in danger of dying in the desert. So in desperation, you read the story, in desperation, the three kings go to Elisha the prophet and they ask him what to do. What a mess. What a mess. But isn't that what people do? We wait until we're in a big mess before we go to God for help. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We wait until we're in trouble and then we go knock on the pastor's door. We wait until our life is falling apart and then then we go to the prayer room. Yeah. We wait until everything is turned bad and then we run to church and ask everyone yeah. to pray for us. Right. Come on. Good and so they're in this mess. Their armies. The, the soldiers are dying. The animals are dying. There's no water to perhaps have a day or two at the most before all is lost. And God in his mercy makes them a promise. Somehow, way, the valley that is so hot and dry, in just 24 hours, that valley that is so hot and dry, in just 24 hours, that valley will be filled with water. This is the promise in verse 17 of 2 Kings chapter 3. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. So there's the promise. Out of nowhere, A flash flood of God's blessings would would appear. 
the hot, dry desert would turn into a riverbed. It would be an absolute miracle. They're out in the middle of the desert, and there's no water anywhere. There's no water to be found. And the promise from God says in 24 hours... That 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 desert is going to turn into a river. That 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 hot dry place that you're at, you're going to be standing in water. It's going to flow down among you, and I will bring relief to the soldiers, and I will bring relief to the animals, and I will protect you, and I will sustain life, and I will do this because I'm God. And there's no way this could happen. You cannot turn the desert into a river. There's no way it could happen. But God said. It will happen. Amen. The cool, refreshing water would fill the valley and their lives would be saved. But before the water would come, God told them to do something very important. And in the latter part of verse 16, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. And I got to thinking about that. You know, think about the condition that they're in. These men are hot. These men are tired. These men are fainting. These men are dying of thirst. Their energy is being sapped because being under the hot sun will do that. And with their battle packs and leading their animals, they're exhausted. They're tired. They're weary. And yet God gives a command that does not make any sense. These men are exhausted. Yet the command from God is to put them to work. These men are worn out. These men don't have much strength to even take another step. And yet the word of God comes and says you need to put those men to work and make the Valley full of ditches. Right. You see, it doesn't make any sense to, to start digging holes in the desert. All you're going to find is more sand. That's all you're going to find. There's no secret stash of water. There's no well they're going to tap into. It's desert. It's sand. It's yeah. dry. And you're going to make these men do something that doesn't make any sense. And the little bit of energy that, that they have and that, that is quickly escaping them, that is quickly running out, the little bit of life they have left that is quickly leaving them, you're going to waste it on a futile effort, digging ditches in the middle of a hot Come desert. On. It makes no sense. Yeah doesn't make any sense to do all that work when you're about to die of heat stroke. But you see, God's ways, it doesn't always make sense doing, doing it God's ways. It doesn't always make sense doing it his way. See, it doesn't always make sense to worship in the middle of your trial. Yeah. And so you've had to do that. When your world is falling apart, when everything has gone wrong, when you are filled with heartache and pain and hurt, and yet in the middle of that, when, when fear is gripping your soul or hurt or pain is gripping your, your emotions, yet in the middle of that, you will raise your hands and you will give God the most authentic worship you know to give him. And people will look at you like you're crazy. I'm convinced even the devil doesn't know what to do with the Pentecostals because we show up and we keep worshiping. Yeah. We keep praising. We keep honoring. We keep laughing. We keep dancing. We keep shouting. Yeah. It doesn't make sense 
to praise God even though he hasn't healed you yet. Uh-huh. You've got that diagnosis from the doctor. And what do you do? You start praising God for your healing. And it doesn't make sense. And people will think you've lost your mind. People out there don't understand you. And sometimes people in here don't understand you. But you start praising God before the healing comes. Why? Because it makes sense. But I'm going to praise my miracle in the healing. I'm going to praise because I know God's faithful. I know God's going to hear my prayers. I know the word of God's going to be true for me. So I'm going to praise ahead of the miracle. I'm going to praise ahead of the blessing. I'm going to praise not after he heals me, but before he heals me. Not after he provides. I'm going to praise before he provides. Amen. God's ways don't always make sense, but they work. Right. Amen. And if you're going to wait until God heals you to start praising him for the healing, you're probably going to be waiting a long time. Because yeah. there's something about those that get out in front and say, I'm going to praise you by faith before it ever happens. It doesn't make sense. Oh, Pastor Camarina, you know this. It doesn't make sense to pay your tithes when you don't have enough money to even pay the bills. And as pastors, we have to get up and teach this principle to people. And then we feel the pressure sometimes because people will think we're money hungry. People think all the church cares about money. We're not teaching these principles because we're money hungry. We're teaching these principles because God's ways are right. And if you will honor God, if you will do God's ways, it doesn't make sense paying your tithes when you don't have enough money to pay the other bills. But I promise you, if you do it God's way, you put God first, you will see God show up and provide. You will see God show up and open doors that you didn't even know existed. You will see God open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that cannot be contained because the ways of God work. His ways work even when they don't make sense. And so God said, make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. And suddenly, as they obeyed the word of God that didn't make any sense to them, suddenly, without warning, a large flow of water filled the valley. What God said would happen, happened exactly the way that God said it would happen. It should not surprise us that God likes to back up his word. Yeah. It should not surprise us that his word will not return unto him void. But it will accomplish what he pleases. You see, God kept his word. He kept his promise. And the entire army was saved that day. But really, here is what God has sent me to challenge this church and to challenge you with today. Because God has given this church a promise. God has given Abundant Life Center. God has given the Camarina family. And God has given you promises to stand on. And if we're not careful through time and through disappointments and through just living life, if we're not careful, those promises that meant so much to us, through maybe no real fault of our own, we will just kind of lay those promises down and we'll just go on and live life. But God wants us to go back and pick up his promise and say, oh no God, you said, you said you would do this for this city. 
You said you would do this for this church. You said you would do this for our family. You said you would do this for my home and my ministry. God, I have a promise to stand on. And there is a promise that God has given us in his word that is over this city and that is over this church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit on all It's a promise. Right. It's not a conditional promise. Those are in the Bible. Right. Where God says, if you do this, I will do this. If you do this, I will do this. This is not a conditional promise. This is a declaration from God that says, in the last days. And friend, I don't know if you've looked around. I don't know if you've read the news lately. I don't know if you've seen what's happening in this world all around us. But we are living in the last days. Yeah. Those perilous times that would come in the last days. This is our day and this is our hour. We are living in the last days. And while I can look out there and see all the darkness and all the ugly and all the hatred and all the division, I'd rather look in here and say, okay, what promise do I have? And the Bible says in the last days, yes, it's going to be bad out there. Yes, it's going to be dark out there. Yes, there's going to be division and strife out there. But in here, you've got a promise to hold on to. In the last days, say it, God, I will. question what are you doing to prepare for the promise that is over this church it's a simple question what are you doing what did Jesus ask that blind man at the very start of this message we read that account he said what do you want and that's the question I come posing in the spirit what do you you want because your actions will show if you really want this or not your actions will reveal whether you really want this or not because there's a lot of people around Christianity that they have the talk but they don't walk the walk it's a bunch of words it's a bunch of noise it's a bunch of statements that there's nothing to back it up but Jesus is asking what do you want me to do for you, Abundant Life Center? What do you want me to do for you in this city and in this church at this hour? What do you want? And your actions, our actions, will show if we really mean the words that we're speaking. Because what are we doing to get ready? 
The water is coming. What are we doing to prepare for the flood that God is sending our way? The Holy Ghost is coming to Lathrop. What are we doing? What are we doing? You see, God told them they had to get ready. Now it makes sense why he would have them dig ditches in the desert. Now it makes sense. It didn't make sense before the miracle, but after the miracle, it makes perfect sense why he would have them dig ditches. Because if they did not properly prepare, the blessing would just pass them by. The river would come, the river would touch them, and then the river would just move on. And they would have nothing to show for the great miracle that God had done for them. But if they would dig those ditches, when the water came, the water would fill those holes. It would fill those ditches. And even though the river would move on, they would have the the blessing. Their animals could drink. They could drop down and they could get some of that cool, refreshing water themselves. And so the ditches they dug was to keep. It was to protect. It was to preserve the miracle that God was sending their way. Yeah, right. And if they weren't ready, if they were not ready when the water came, then it would flow right out of the valley. And they would be left with nothing to show for it. You see, I I have seen God bless churches with seasons of revival. But because they weren't ready, that revival just passed them by. And it was years before it ever came back again. And I've learned, I, w- I want to be ready. That when God sends the Holy Ghost, when God sends those prodigals back home, when God sends those lost, hungry, thirsty souls, I want to be ready. I want to make sure I'm not, I've been busy. I want to make sure I'm ready. I want to keep the blessing. I want to keep the miracle. I want to keep the promise. I don't want to talk about how good it was yesterday and how great things were yesterday. I want to talk about the revival of today. I want to talk about what God's doing today. I want to talk about what we're experiencing today. So that's why. That's why God told them to do something very important, something that didn't make any sense at the time. Make this valley full of ditches. And so you have a promise. This church has a promise. But the question is, what are you doing to get ready for the fulfillment of this promise? Avery, could you help me out? Could you bring me that first shovel today? I uh, was a youth pastor for many years, and somewhere along the line, I, I learned to use visual aids to try to tie the word of the Lord together. And so you've seen this before, right? The little play shovel that we use to build sandcastles and moats and other things when we're, when we're at the coast, when we're at the beach somewhere. It's, a, it, it, it's for the sandbox. This isn't real. This is just a toy. But how many people come to church and they're just playing around? They're hearing the preaching. They're hearing the word of God. And God says, make this valley full of ditches. And they just kind of smile at the preacher. And they get out their shovel. (laughs) And they play in the sand. You see, they're okay getting a little wet. They're okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let the water... 
wash over my feet. I'll let the water just, just brush up against me. But I'm, I'm not really into all that. Pastor, I, I really don't know about going out on Saturday and evangelizing. I'm not, that's going to get me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. I have seen people use the excuse that they're not outgoing is why they can't, can't be soldiers. I've seen that. And I watch some of those same people when their favorite sports team wins the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And they're so reserved at church. And they're so shy when it comes to things of God. But their favorite team wins. And my goodness, you can't get them to stop talking about it. And you can't get them to be quiet. I hear people, well, Brother Lopez, I'm just not emotional. Win the lottery. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you'll find emotions you didn't know you had. We have something a lot better than a winning lottery team. We have something a lot better than a sports team or a super team. down to that. That is absolutely not me, Brother Lopez. I'm not playing around with Jesus. Oh, no, you're not. You've got your weekend show. <laughs> this is good on Sundays. And maybe, maybe on a Wednesday. When do you guys have midweek service? Wednesday. Maybe. If everything goes right, I'll show up on Wednesday too, Pastor. And there's some of us, you know, uh, there are people who they're called weekend warriors, right? These people that do nothing all week long, and then they're going to get in shape on the weekends. These are people that end up in the emergency room because they tear something, break something, because their body's not ready for it. They say, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna eat Krispy Kreme donuts all week long, and then I'm going to go run 10 miles on, on Saturday. I'm going to fix it all. It doesn't work that way. But there's some people that they will live so far from God and the ways of God and the things of God. And they show up church on Sunday, and they're ready to have a movie. But they've done nothing or very little. Oh, they're here, and they'll even put some money in the offering plate. Thank you. God bless you. They'll even pray with others at the altar. They'll wait. They'll, they'll, they'll get involved. But the truth is that it, it's more of a hobby. It's more a, a, of a weekend experience. It's a, there's, there's not a commitment that, that, that is with them on, on Monday morning. There's not something driving them on Tuesday. There's not something that's motivating them on Thursday. They're not having that prayer meeting on Friday. No, they're, they're, on. on Sunday, they'll pick it back up. On Sunday, they'll, they'll grab the shovel. And, and you know what? If there's a move of God on Sunday, I'll be a part of that. And, and you know, I may even stand during the preaching. Bless God, we're about to have revival. I may even clap. <laughs> I, I may even, you know, do it. And, and you know what? You're going to get from God yeah. what you want to put in the fire. Amen. And I made up my mind as a young man. I was going to be a weekend warrior Christian. Brother Avery, can you get me that third show? See, we know. We know what's coming next. Don't we? <laughs> we know. You see, this one. This one's been used. It's been, it's been outworking. Yeah. This one leaves calluses on the hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This one, when you get done with it, your back is sore. You're walking around like this, <laughs> trying to straighten out that back that's gotten sore from those muscles you've been using. Oh, yeah. 
This one isn't for show. This one isn't a toy. This right. one isn't you put on display. This is a tool. This is something you, you put to good use. Yeah. This is something sturdy and solid, you see. And there's some of us, we've got to make up our minds. You know what? Give me that big shot. Come on, Alon. And I made up my mind that if I was going to have to dig a ditch, that I wasn't going to build some, some, some small little puddle that would only hold a little bit of water. Nor was I going to build, you know, something that, that was decent size. I thought, wow, that, that's a pr pretty nice ditch you've dug there. I made up my mind for my family. For my three children and my wife, I'm going to have a swimming pool. Yes. It's going to be yes. so big that when God fills it up, it's going to be filled to overflowing. I'm going to have revival in my home. I'm going to have revival in my church. I'm going to have revival in my city. So give me the real show. I'll wake up early and I'll stay up late and I'll do whatever it takes. Pastor, I'll be there on Saturday. I'll show up early on Sunday. And when we meet on Monday, because I'm going to do whatever it takes because I realize there's a promise over this church and I want to I'm going to be a little winded. I'm going to be a little tired. But that's okay. I remember in Bible college, I was a freshman and it was senior chapel. And I was looking at these students that were four years older than me as they were graduating from college. And as they were actually three years older than me as they were graduating from college. The end of my freshman year was the end of their senior year. And one young lady stood up. She she came from Europe and, and she had to work a job on campus trying to pay her bills and always working and she was trying to be a good student but she had some language barriers that made, made it very challenging to go to school here in America but she was working through and fighting through it and in her senior chapel she, she made this statement. She said, I just made up my mind. I'm going to go to heaven tired. And I thought, what a beautiful That's way good. to live. That's good. So when I tell you I'm tired, I'm not complaining. When I tell you I'm tired, that tells you I'm doing what I plan to do because I'm going to give everything I have to this. I've got all the heaven to see. I've got all the eternity to take a nap. But right now it's time to pick up a shovel and get to work because now is a season of revival. Now is a season of outpouring. Now is a season of harvest. And I want to be Sunday morning. How big is your ditch today? How big is it? Is it just a little, enough to hold a little puddle of water? A cup or two of water, and that's all you're going to keep from this outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Maybe it's, it's a little bigger. Maybe you've got enough to take care of you and your, maybe your family for a few days. But I've made up my mind I made up my mind. The sun may be beating down hard on me. I may be tired. My, my, my energy, my strength may be sapped from me. And I've given everything I have. But I'm, I'm going to find a way to give a little bit more. Because God's going to keep his word. God's going to keep his word. Amen. God's going to keep his word. And I'm going to get ready. I can hear it. I can hear the, the rumble of water roaring my way. I can hear that flash flood of revival heading our way. I can hear it. It's about to happen in this city. It's about to happen in this church. But I want to do everything I can to be ready. How 
many prodigals are there in a 20 mile radius of this church? How many prodigals are there that need to come back to Father's house? How many hungry souls are sitting at home today broken and empty? They drank themselves to sleep last night and they're waking up today so empty asking, isn't there more to life than this? How many people all around us have tried this religion and that relationship and that experience and that party and that drug and this, that and the other and they're just finding emptiness everywhere and you and I know the answer. And it'll be one knock on the door. It'll be one friendly way from you in a parking lot. It'll be one casual conversation at Starbucks. And it'll be the hook that draws them to the light. What are you doing to get ready? Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And if I could just distill that verse down, it's simply this. None of us are going to fool God. Right. None of us are going to fool God. Right. See, God knows what size shovel I'm holding today. He knows if I'm just speaking words, but in my heart, I'm lacking the commitment. He knows if it's just something I do in front of others, but there's no substance to back up my words or what I project. But God also knows if the calluses are real and the back has been strained. He knows if I've been at it all day long and I want to take a break, but I'm just going to keep pushing and pressing because I believe that God's going to keep his word. I believe that his promise is true. I believe that all God has spoken for this church will come to pass. You see, God is not mocked. He knows what shovel you're holding today. He knows what life you're living. He knows what commitment you've really made when no one else is looking. Those who dug little ditches, they got a little blessing. But those who dug large ditches, They got a lot of blessing. You see, the water was going to flow, but only those who had prepared themselves were going to have that blessing left over, that blessing that would sustain them and their loved ones. And I've come preaching to a church, the water is about to flow. I want to be ready. Would you close your eyes and would you reach a hand into this holy atmosphere? Ah, there it is. Thank you, Jesus. Someone needs to pray right now. You need to pray. That's it. Pray right now. Let God know how serious you are. Let God know how much you want this. The burden that fills you, the 
need to dedicate yourself and no one can do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. It's got to be you saying, here I am. I'll put my hands on that shovel. I will do whatever it takes. My family matters. My kids matter. This church matters. Having revival, it matters. Would you come today? Would you find that place to pray and to give yourself to God?
across this place one more time. The Holy Ghost is here to move in a special way this morning. I believe God has spoken to each and every one of us this morning. God's asking for a high level of commitment as we race the rapture. Hallelujah. As the pressure of the world begins to intensify, my greater commitment to the things of God will see me through. Hallelujah. God, here's what I'm asking for today, Lord. Come on, let your request be made known before the Lord this morning. 